series today that um, I've called a new thing. And so I asked, can we sing that song today? And I feel like we're just in this place where there's something collective that God is doing uh, within us, um, both individually, but then collectively together. And uh, when, I, when I think about a new year, you've heard me say this before, I'm not one to make resolutions. I'm not one to like look for um, big changes. I challenge you last Sunday as we were looking at uh, heading into Epiphany and the wonder of the, the Magi seeking Christ Jesus to find kind of that, that guiding star, uh, like the Magi seeking Christ Jesus. Like, what is God speaking to you? Maybe it's just a word. Maybe it's an anchor verse for this new year. What is what is God um, kind of opening up in your heart as we head into a new year? And um, I am one that, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm one that I, I do love new things. I hate change, but I love new things. Does that make sense? So like I am, the kids make fun of me because um, like with my phone or my computer, even our Apple TV, like I check it constantly for updates. Like, is there a new update? Is there something like my apps? I check them multiple times a day because I love new things, new features. Um, we were with a friend yesterday and he's, he's in IT and um, works in, you know, internet security and things like that. And he's telling me about his job and I'm just so curious and part of his job is so cool. He gets to decide for their company what new features they're going to be rolling out to their customers. And I'm like, that's so awesome because I love new things. I love um, the anticipation of it. I love researching and thinking about it. Um, just, just new stuff, new device, new experience. I love that. But I hate change. Does that make sense? Like how that can be? So I don't like my circumstances to change. I like stability. I like routine. So I'm all good if my phone says, hey, we got a new whatever this or that. And that's kind of fun. But when it comes to my circumstances, my situations, my routines, I don't like change. I don't know how those two things can be true, but they are for me. And so I was, even this last week, I was like so ready for the kids to be back at school, for Chris and I both get back into our like normal routines and like for everything to fall into place. And then Wednesday came. And Wednesday morning was crazy. You all know this. Like, ice storm, like, cars off the highway, like, craziness. They, our kids, um, the oldest one, Kevin, he rides the bus to school, and he stood down at the bus stop for 25 minutes. I didn't know this, waiting for a bus. And they had decided they're canceling buses. But they didn't, there was no announcement, anything that went out. And so, like, it was just, like, chaos in the middle of our week. And so there's this part of me that I'm like, I just want to get back to my routine. I want to get back to things as normal. But at the same time, I love new things. So I live with this tension in my life of like the anticipation of something new, but then also kind of this like low level anxiousness about, well, I don't want my, my circumstance, my situation to change. I want it to stay the same. And so what we're going to see in our verses today, Isaiah 43, is this moment when the, the prophet of God, Isaiah, really challenges God's people with the possibility and the, the limitless potential of God desiring to do a new thing, to do a new thing with God's people. And, and before we read this verse, I, wanna, I just want to remind you of a few things about the way that the, uh, the kingdom of God worked at that time. So the, the, the Jewish people, the, the Israelites, they were, as a, as a people, organized in what is called a theocracy. So different than a democracy or um, other forms of government, they were a theocracy, which meant that God was the headship over them as a nation. So they had, they had kings and rulers, but the ultimate ruler above any human rulers was God, and the voice of God would speak. And so throughout time, 
the first, it was the prophet of God. Then they set up the judges that were, were ones that helped with kind of rule and govern. And then ultimately the people begged God, give us a king. Give us, give us somebody that we can see with our eyes and that we can uphold and, and know that this is the person leading us. Yes, we still want to hear from you, God, but we also want a human. We want to be kind of like the other nations that have a king and somebody that we can, we can honor and, and we can worship. Not the same as Yahweh God, but we can still uphold as the ruler. And so what happens then... As a king is put in place, there is the prophet of God that still operates kind of within the system, but then also outside the system. The prophet of God would be the one to to challenge God's people. Woe to you. Watch out. Look out where you're going, because if we continue down this path, there's destruction ahead. Or would bring hope and and messages of peace and saying, it's going to be okay. God is with us. The Lord Yahweh is still our God. Remember what he has done and see what he is doing. And Isaiah, as we look at the book of Isaiah, there are these like amazing images that, that come as Isaiah speaks with the voice of God to challenge God's people. Many of those point to the Messiah, the the coming of Christ Jesus. So even during the Advent season, there's many verses from Isaiah that we read to remember that that longing and that hope for the coming of Christ Jesus. And so what we see then is, yes, there was a king. Yes, there were were human rulers. And then there was the prophet of God that would call out and cry out to the people. Even during the years, decades, and centuries that God's people were in exile— that they were away from their homeland, that they were under oppression, which they and they had kings and rulers over them that weren't even their own people ethnically, but that were holding them in, in captivity, there was still the voice of God that would cry out, like Jeremiah, that would cry out to the people and say, remember what God has said, remember what God has spoken, see what God is going to do, hold tight to God and the promises of who God is. And so what we see, specifically with Isaiah the prophet, is that his his book and his, the, the book of um, prophecy that we see in Isaiah is probably about 500 to 600 years before the time of Christ Jesus. And yet there are these messages that go out that speak to the coming of Christ Jesus and what would happen in this ultimate restoration that God was going to do. And so what I want to do is look, as we, as we look at this sermon series, a new thing, this, these key verses that we're going to look at today are going to set us up for the next few weeks. But let's look together at Isaiah 43, verses 14 through 20. Here Isaiah speaks for the voice of the Lord, and it says, This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake, I will send an army against Babylon, forcing the Babylonians to flee in those ships they are so proud of. So God is already saying, like, for your sake, I'm with you, and I'm going to send someone against your oppressors to, to scatter them out. And then God comes back again in verse 15 and says, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened the way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering smoldering candle wick. Verse 18. But forget all of that. It's nothing compared to what I am going to do. For I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. The wild animals in the fields will thank me, the jackals and the owls too, for giving them water in the desert. Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. 
God, I thank you that while your words of scripture are, are really centuries and millennia old, God, they awaken something in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we recognize, as we've already said through the words of our songs, through our prayers, God, we know that you are with us. God, we desire to see you move. Lord, as we step into this, this sermon series and as we look at the, the words of Scripture, may it awaken something in us, just as it would have for those people in Isaiah's time, the promise of you doing something new. How wonderful you are, God. The Psalms remind us that you're beyond our ability to even comprehend or understand. And yet, God, we pray in these moments now that you would come close, that you would come near. Open our minds and our hearts to the wonder of who you are and what you desire to do. God, we, we remain in a posture of yes, Lord. We say yes, Lord. Amen. So as we look at these verses of Scripture, there's, there's kind of this, this fulcrum, you know, kind of like a, a tension point right in the middle of verses 18 and 19 where, where God speaks and he says, you know, you've heard me say this. Forget all of that. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to say. And so it's in this like hopeful call from God that, that God brings out this, this remembrance first of saying, okay, I have been faithful to you. I've been faithful to you. I've been faithful throughout the generations. God is saying, look at the great things I have done. Remember the great things I've done. And in the, those first few verses, what, what is being brought up in imagery is their, their liberation. They're their bringing um, their exodus out of Egypt. And where you know, God is reminding them of saying, okay, you were in exile before. You were under the oppression and the slavery in, in Egypt. And then you were set free. And when you were set free, like there's this moment where they're, they're led across the waters. The waters are parted. They're led across the waters. And then God says, with that same imagery in mind, remember that as the waters came in and washed out your oppressor, you were then set free. And I was with you then. Even in the, the first few verses that we read, it says, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer the Holy One of Israel. That word redeemer in Hebrew is goal. And what it means is it's this idea of the one who works on behalf of another to restore. The one who works on behalf of another to strengthen and renew. It's like the, in, in the story of Ruth, this idea of a kinsman redeemer. The one who is relationally close and says, I am choosing to step into this situation on your behalf. To, re to, re to restore, to redeem, to set free. And so God says from the beginning, I'm your redeemer, Holy One of Israel. And then again, in verse 15, the Lord says, I am the Holy One, Israel's creator and king. He reminds them, I am the one who's formed you and made you, given you purpose. And ultimately, I am your king. Not the king you've chosen for yourself, not in the, in the centuries when they were in exile, that there was some other ruler that was resting over the top of you. He says, no, I am your creator. I'm your king. I'm your redeemer that is sustainer and restoring. Like God is saying, look, I stand in the gap between what you see and then what will be. That is what I'm doing here. And so through this, he's saying, you can trust me. You can see what I've done for you. You can see where I've shown my power, where I've shown my strength, where I've shown myself faithful. You see it, you know it. For the Hebrew people, for the Jewish people, every, every um, Sabbath, 
at, at sundown on Sabbath, as they would go through the Sabbath dinner, they would recall and remember God's faithfulness. They would repeat it over and over and over again and saying, God, you are faithful. You are the one that frees us from our oppressors. You're the one that is part of the waters and has led us out and set us free. But then in verse 18, what does God do? God says, forget all of that. Just forget it. Like take, take that, forget it, set it aside, because if you hold on to that, your mind is not even going to be able to comprehend what's about to happen next. Your mind is not even going to be able to, to understand and, and, and compare to what's coming next. Is, is, um, Isaiah is saying this and challenging the people. I have to believe there was this moment of like, wait, what? You just talked about the faithfulness of God, and then you say, you know what? Forget it all. It's like, it's like we're going we're gonna to take a moment, we're going to wipe the slate clean, and then we're going to allow ourselves to see God in a fresh and new way. And then God says, guess what? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what I'm going to do for you? I've already done such great things. And, 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 and the people are remembering that, like, yeah, 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 I know you've done it. And then he says, forget it all and get ready because I am about to do a new thing. I'm going to do something that is beyond your ability to comprehend. I've actually already started it. And maybe you can't even see it, but it's happening. Can't you see it? Don't you understand? It's about to happen. Like it's, it's starting to unfold. And so in this moment, what, what is happening through the voice of Isaiah is, is he's saying, don't allow the history of what I've done to overshadow the limitless potential of what I am about to do, what I'm about to do for you. Again, in the imagery here, and then we'll get into some ways that, that we start to apply this for us as we head into a new year. And, and really where God has us as a church is, is we see he's already recalled, I parted the waters, I, I, I removed your enemy, but forget all of that. And then he says, I'm going to, to part the way in the wilderness. I'm going to make a way for you in the wilderness. Now, this isn't so much like a literal place of being in a literal wilderness, but what he's saying is, what seems like even more impossible, it's one thing to, to part some water, and that seems like, wow, incredible impossible. Then he says, forget all of that, because what I'm doing now is I am making a way in a wilderness, in a dry wasteland where it seems like there is no life. I'm going to part all of that, and there's going to be a new life that starts to spring up. In the impossibility of what you see as dead and barren wasteland around you, I'm parting the water, the, the, the wasteland, I'm parting the wilderness, like rolling it back to show fresh and new life that's going to be underneath it. And not only will it sustain other parts of creation, it will sustain God's people. A few verses later in chapter 44, Isaiah says this, you know, he's, he's talked about all of this, this faithfulness and faithfulness of God. And then in Isaiah 44, verse number one, it says, but now listen to me, Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one, the Lord who made you helps you and says, don't be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, O Israel, my chosen one, for I will pour out water to quench your thirst, to irrigate your parched fields. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your children. They will thrive like watered grass, like willows on a riverbank. Again, bringing in that imagery of saying, what you think is, is impossible, what you may even think is dead and life is gone, I am doing a new thing. It's already starting to happen. Can you not see it? Can you hear it? Can you feel it? It's happening. 
And so when we begin to apply this, this radical message of hope that, again, yes, it's centuries old of God's liberation and freedom and restoring, we realize that we can apply it to our lives today because it's the promise of who God is, that God's character is unchanging. That's what we have to realize is God's character, the nature of who God is, it is unchanging. But then what we see is that the work of God is dynamic, it's alive, it's new, it's unexpected, and we can place our hope and our faith on the future faithfulness of God because we do know the past faithfulness of God, and yet we realize by the power of God's Spirit, there is something fresh and new that God desires to do today, that God desires to do tomorrow and next week and next month. And that God will continue to do it. And so when we think about this idea of a new thing and God doing a new thing, it's not us coming to our best creativity to come up with a plan for God for what that new thing is going to look like. It's just us saying, Lord, I can see your faithfulness. And then God looks at us and says, you know what? Set it aside. Because what I'm going to do is going to blow your mind. What I desire to do, it can't even fit in the box of what I've already done. It's going to be overflowing and beyond that in ways that you can't even imagine. And so you're taking notes, number one, let's think about it this way. When God is doing a new thing, we have to release our expectations of what will unfold. When God's doing a new thing, we have to release our expectations of what will unfold. Now, there's a tendency in humanity to automatically look for for known categories to interpret our situation, our circumstances. It's our survival instincts as humans. <laughs> Think about it. You show up in a, in a new place. Maybe you have to, to come into a, an office building or, or you're in a restaurant or, or maybe you start a new job. What do we immediately do? We look around. We look for signs to get our bearings. Oh, okay, signs, restrooms, got it. Okay, I know. And we, find, we can find our way and navigate our way around because we take what is new to us and coming in and we connect it with what we already know. It's kind of like we have like mental buckets in our brains that we, we encounter something new and we go, okay, what bucket does this fit in of what I already know? It helps us learn faster. It helps us overcome the learning curve of things. And, and really, especially in, in educational settings, it's best to take new information and connect it with what is already known because it helps increase and strengthen and helps to learn quicker. I have a really bad tendency of doing this where um, when I meet a new person, my brain automatically goes, oh, they're kind of like so-and-so. Oh, they remind me of this person. What am I doing? I'm taking this person that maybe I know nothing about other than a name in the situation where I've met them, and I'm trying to fill in some sort of understanding or backstory because, well, they kind of remind me of this person, or they laugh like that person, or you know, they kind of resemble whoever. That may have no bearing and no connection on the person in front of me, but I automatically do it in my brain. Sometimes it's just a name. Oh, you have the same name as this person. Oh, okay, I like that person. I must like you. What? How does that even make sense? But our brains do this, right? We're kind of like we're hardwired to do this. And so what can happen for us in a spiritual sense, and it's kind of like what Isaiah is saying here in this moment of prophecy, of saying, like, you need to be expecting that God is going to be at work, that God is going to be doing something in and among you. You know that God is faithful, but you have to come to a place where you release the expectations of the who, what, when, where, why of what God is doing. You, you have to, to kind of like obliterate that. Like he says in verse 18, just forget it. Forget it. Forget it all. Set it aside and come fresh before the Lord and hear what God is speaking. 
Hear what God is saying. Hear what God is desiring to do. Because we know instinctually our our automatic kind of instinct is going to be, okay, I'm expecting this. I'm looking for this. And so I'm going to start filling in the backstory to whatever it is God is speaking, whatever it is that God is doing. As we come into a new year and we pray for this place of God, do a new thing. Do a new thing in me. Do a new thing in our church. What is it, God, that you're desiring to do? Our automatic tendency is going to go back to what do I remember? What, 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 were the, what were the good times of the past? What were the moments when I really felt God moving and speaking before? And then why don't I just bring that into the present moment now and say, God, just do it again. <laughs> do it again, God. Just do what you did before, but do it again right now. But if we live in that way, what have we done? We've now placed God in one of those kind of mental buckets of memory, of recall, and so when we think about it, we, like I said before, we have to realize that God's character, the nature of who God is, it is unchanging. But what God is doing and the work that God's doing, it is ever changing. It's ever, it's, it's flowing. It's like, a, it's like a mighty river that's flowing. And while the direction and the course of the river is pretty much staying the same, what's happening within it is flowing and churning. And there's currents and little whirlpools and eddies where there's things that are happening that are new and fresh. And so as we, as we approach the river of God and what God is doing, we have to come at it with fresh eyes where we release what we've held on to from the past. And we say, okay, God, I know I can recall, I can remember your faithfulness. And as I stand before you now, I want to see the new thing that you are doing. I want to hold my hands open and trust the new thing that you are doing. And I feel like, especially for us, as we, as we come to this place of, of wanting to trust God and pray for God to, to do something fresh and something new in our hearts and our lives, you know, the challenge for us is, you know, we know, we know what God will do because we know the character and the nature of God. But I feel like God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit and says, okay, but in this situation, in this moment, do you want your best ideas or do you want me to truly do a new thing in your life? I feel like even in in this place of seeking the new thing of what God's doing, it's a place for us to test out the maturity of our faith. To come to a place and going, like, I can actually approach God in a way that has this kind of wide open wonder and awe and go, God, I would rather have you be so much bigger than my mind can figure out and comprehend rather than bring you down to this bite-sized portion that I can ingest, I can consume and say, okay, I now have God figured out. So there's this mystery, this wonder, this awe of what God is doing. <clears throat> but secondly, you know, first we realize we have to let go of, of the way in which we expect God to do it. But secondly, God's new thing is beyond just changing our worldly circumstances. It's the inescapable transformation of all things. So it's not just about when God is doing a new thing, when we talk about the work of God, it's not just about this kind of external work of like, well, we want people to find out about Jesus. Or we want, we want within a church, we want our church to, to be alive and, and, and growing and having events and activities and, and things that show us that, okay, something is happening here. Or maybe in our own lives, God is, is not so much just concerned about the circumstances around you of like, you know, are the bills getting paid? You know, is everybody healthy? Or, or how, how are we doing, you know, in all these external things? But what is actually happening, the new thing, is actually first happening within us. And so I say it's this inescapable transformation of all things. Isaiah challenges the, the people of God in saying, look, like the new thing that's going to be happening here, it's not just about 
this, this external restoration, this external setting free, this external um, redeeming, but it's actually what's going to be happening in you. Isaiah, he's kind of like laying down this, this, this marker, this challenge for the people of God and saying, you know, that, and it's really even for the people of the future to be able to look back and see and reminding Israel that, you know, yes, there is this like kind of governmental political liberation that's happening, but that's not the whole story. All throughout Isaiah's writing, as he speaks to the Messiah, what he's saying is there's one coming who's actually going to respond to the deeper problem of how to be right with a completely holy God. What he's pointing to is saying this redemptive work is more than just this, this collective group of people being redeemed and set free, but actually within the individual of being able to see something new happen. Isaiah 35, this is before the verses that we just read. Isaiah says this, with this news, strengthen those who have tired hands. Encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Don't fear. For your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, I love it. These verses point to the work of Christ Jesus. When he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind. He'll unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer. And those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, streams of water in the wasteland. He's pointing to the wonder, the mystery, the coming of Christ Jesus. Verse number seven, parched ground will become like a pool. Springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. A great road will go through once what once was a deserted land, it will be named the highway of holiness. Evil-minded people will never, never travel on it. It will be only for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Verse number 11, lions will lurk along its course, will not lurk along its course, nor will any other ferocious beast. There will be no other dangers. Only the redeemed will walk on it. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with joy and gladness. And if we try to reduce the language of Isaiah down to some sort of literal highway through the wilderness, we miss the mystery and the wonder of what he's speaking about through the work, the redemptive work of Christ Jesus of saying that there is power in what God is doing that's going to restore the barren, that is going to, that's going to give life in, in, in places where it seems there is none, that when there's dangers along the path, they'll be held back because there will be along the path of God, this highway of holiness. So what he's talking about here is saying like the new thing that God's doing is this total, complete redemption of God's people. And that ultimately it's happening through Christ Jesus. It's happening in us through Christ Jesus. And so we come to a place where we can begin to open our hearts and our minds to the newness of God's work. As we start this new year, you know, I've, one of the things I've been praying is just that the Holy Spirit would invite our church community to dream with God-initiated vision. That we dream. We dream about, you know, yes, we have... <laughs> We have the, the wonders of years come, that were previous, and we have, you know, the longings of things coming back to what we remember, but that we could come to a place where we go, okay, God, it's not just this is what church does, but Lord, we really want to listen to you, and we want to hear the soft sp- whisper of your Holy Spirit speaking to us, beginning to call out, of saying to us, you know, forget all of that. Let me do something new. Let me do something that's, that's beyond what you can comprehend, that it's nothing compared to what, what hap- has happened is nothing compared to what is going to happen. 
I'm about to do something new. See what's happening. It's this way of us stepping into the waters of what God's doing and allowing the current of God as it flows to move us along. Not too fast, not too slow, just right. You know, Goldilocks, right? (laughs) It's not too hot, not too cold, it's just right. There's this ability in us as we seek the heart of God and as we want to be within what God is doing as a new thing to be able to move at God's speed, at God's pace, in a trusted way of, of trusting that yes, God, we know that you have been faithful, but we're not gonna box you in by your past faithfulness. We're gonna come to a place of seeing that you desire to redeem and restore everything. And it's incomprehensible, beyond what we can even imagine. And then lastly, number three, really a question for us, will we receive the renewal work of God, the renewal work God is desiring to do in us and through us? Will we receive it? Will we receive it? There are some people within the, the nation of Israel at the time. And, you know, when they were in exile, when they were in, you know, places that um, they were away from what was their promised land and, and, and the place of home, the place they were longing to return to, there were some that just gave up. There were some that just said, you know what, this is good enough. I can stay here. And they, they, they released the tenacity of holding tight to that new thing that God was desiring to do. But as we've already said, the redemption that God was desiring to do through Christ Jesus was a restoration of all things, of all people. That eventually through the coming and the birth of Christ Jesus, the coming of Christ Jesus, that there's this ultimate restoring that God desires to do. And so for us to step into a place of saying, yes, God, I want to see you do a new thing. It first starts by us coming to a place of saying, God, do the new thing in me. God, awaken it in me. God, would you make me new? And as you make me new, Lord, let me be attuned to what you're doing. Let me be, be in step with what you're doing. We understand that through Christ Jesus, God made it possible for new relationship, right? New relationship between God and, and the, the humanity of this world and that it involved this renewing of, of human nature, renewing of our, our minds, our spirits. We've talked about it recently in 2 Corinthians verse 5, 16 through 17, when Paul writes, We've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. I think Paul there is even referring to his own transformation process. When he first encountered encountered Christ Jesus and those following Christ Jesus, it was, uh, we have to stop them. We have to, we need to, we need to actually put them to death and we've got to stop this because it's threatening our way of life. It's threatening our understanding of God. It's threatening our religious perspectives on how God moves and how God works. And then there are those that are saying they're following this Christ Jesus and, and he was just a man and he claimed that he was a teacher. He, maybe he was a prophet, but he died. And so, you know, as, as he's died and they claim that he's risen again, like we have to stop this. I feel like that's what was in Paul's heart as he writes these words. And then he says, how differently we know him now. Paul comes to a place of experiencing the radical transformation of Christ Jesus in his own life. And then he has the ability to write this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. It's like Paul is saying, like, I've walked this road. I've experienced this new thing that, that Christ did in me. And now I'm all in to the point of of even putting my own life on the line. He says, this new thing will transform you through and through. Author and theologian C.S. Lewis, um, in his book, Mere Christianity, has this beautiful word image 
kind of word picture that he creates of, of God's internal creating and recreating work and how it's, it's unceasing and what it looks like. And I, I want to read this for you now. He says, imagine yourself as a house. Literally, you're being. Imagine yourself as a house, as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drain right so it stops all the leaks in the roof and, and so on. And you knew that those jobs needed doing, so you're not really surprised. But presently, he starts knocking on the house and knocking about in a way that, that actually hurts painfully. And he does not, it doesn't really seem to make sense. What on earth is God up to? Well, the explanation is that God is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, transforming it from the inside out, throwing out a new wing here and putting on an extra floor there and and running up towers and making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but God is building a palace and he intends to come and live in it himself. It's a beautiful image, right? And we say, yes, Lord, do that in me. But how many of you know construction work, remodel work, it's dirty. (laughs) It's messy. It never goes as expected. It never follows the timeline as what is expected. To experience a new thing in that way, this new redemptive work of the Holy Spirit means that we say yes to that great construction builder, God. We say, Christ Jesus, be at home in me. Be at home in me. I allow you to, to work as you need to work. As he, said, as he said here, sets about knocking about the house in a way that feels painful. I allow you to do it. Because as you do, I want to see a new thing. I want to see the new thing that you're design, desiring to do in me. We're going to continue to look at this over the next few weeks, this idea of a new thing, and look at some other places in the scriptures where God gives this promise and, and even a challenge of receiving the new thing that God wants to do. But as we move into a place of responding today, I want to I give you a, a little bit of a challenge for this week. I want to challenge you to spend some time with God this week, just inviting God to give you a glimpse of the new thing, the new thing that God desires, maybe first God desires to do in you. You know, coming to a place of, of just receiving that responsive, that, that responsive invitation to God of saying, yes, Lord, just do your new thing. I say yes, and I'm going to let you do it. I'm going to say yes to you, God. But then maybe in the same way uh, this week as you you pray for God to give you a glimpse of that new thing is you, you start to pray and say, God, what are you showing me? Where are you leading me? God, what are you doing in our church community and how do you want me to be part of it? And I want to challenge you as well not to not not to feel like you have to jump ahead to an ordered explanation or attempt to even you know create the plan for God just pray for God to give you a glimpse of the new thing as he said in Isaiah I'm already doing it it's already happening and he asked do you see it are you able to see it prayerfully come to a place of just praying God allow me to see it allow me to see it unfold before me This is a moment, as I've already said, to move at God's speed. You don't have to go too fast. You don't have to go too slow. But the intentional paced movement that surrenders 
destination that surrenders expectation and just says, God, I want to be on the path that you've placed before me. And trust God that you are that ultimate guide. You're that ultimate protector. You're the one that can part the waters. You're the one that can make a way in a wilderness. You're the one that can restore and, and, and sustain in dry and weary lands. God, I believe that you have done it before and yet I'm gonna trust that you can do so much more. I ask you to bow your head and I'm gonna pray for us now. And I understand sometimes it's, it's really great to sit and hear a message like this. And then it comes with the work of, do I really want to seek that and live that out? Because we know, we know there are concerns and worries that we carry with us. I mean, even now, there, there are things that are in our culture that feel as though they're looming on the horizon that seem uncertain. We don't know how it's going to play out and how it's going to happen and, and, and unfold and the way that it's going to resolve. And maybe even in our own lives, there's something that's kind of just looming on the horizon. And while we're prayerfully saying, God, do a new thing, what we feel like we can see on the horizon feels maybe bigger than the possibility of the new thing that God desires to do. I feel like today God is just speaking to us and saying, you know who I am. You know what I can do. And now I'm asking you to set all of that aside because I'm going to do a new thing far beyond your ability to even imagine. I'm going to part the wilderness of your circumstances. I'm going to make a way to bring you to a supernatural oasis. As I part the wilderness, I'm bringing refreshing and sustaining and renewing. And then God asks, are you ready? Trust me. Psalm 27 has been a psalm that I have read for a few weeks now. Almost every day I've read through Psalm 27. But in Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14, the psalmist is you know, he's gone through, through many different moments of remembering God's faithfulness, of, of saying, I can see you protecting me from my enemies. I know, God, that you, you um, provide for me when it seems impossible. And, and even saying, you know, one thing I ask, one thing I seek is just to, to be in your house, to be in your presence. He reminds his heart. He says, you know, heart, the heart kind of like speaks to himself and says, seek the face of God. And then the psalmist comes back around and says, I will seek your face. But then in verses 13 and 14, the psalmist says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then he again cries out and says, wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, wait for the Lord. God, today, that's the attitude and posture of our hearts. We're willing to wait on you. That active waiting, the waiting with anticipation, the waiting that says, yes, Lord, we recall and we remember your faithfulness. And yet, God, we know that you're going to do something far beyond what we can remember far beyond what we can, we can recall and try to create a future scenarios. God, we say, do a new thing in us. Allow us to see it. Allow us to experience it. Let it start in us and then overflow. God, would you care for your church in leading us through the wilderness and leading us to a place of new possibilities? 
God, we don't build out those paths or expectations just based off of the, the fondness of, of memories that have come before. But God, we come to a place of saying, allow us to have a fresh view, fresh eyes, fresh perspective of what you desire to do, God. We say, yes, Lord, we will wait upon you. In confidence, God, we will wait on you. Lord, I pray for each person who's, who's hearing this message this morning and, and wherever it may find them in season of life or, or circumstances, God, that you would awaken something in their hearts today that, that reminds them, God, that you are the God of a new thing. You are the God of yesterday. We know that you are the God of tomorrow. And you are also the God of this present moment now. And so we rest confidently in that, trusting, Lord, that you will lead, that you will guide, that you will make a way. Lord, bring us to moments this week where we, we find just those holy, sacred spaces with you. And maybe it's with just all the faith that we can pull together just to pray out loud and say, God, would you show me the new thing? I say yes to your new thing. I trust in you. God, as we put those attitudes in our hearts and those words on our lips, would it awaken something in your church by the power of the Holy Spirit with excitement, with anticipation, with hope, with joy of what you are doing? God, may we become joyfully curious about what you are up to. God, we thank you that you bring us into your work in this world we're covered over and sustained and protected by you. So we trust in you today. We fix our eyes on you. No other place, God, but on you and you alone. We pray this in faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.